Good morning, church. First of all, I want to thank you for the warm welcome that we've experienced here at First Huntsville. Uh, we have, Kaki and I have, have felt your warmth and your hospitality and your love as we've come. Uh, we've spent our entire married life uh, on the I-20 corridor up in, in northeast Texas. And so this is our first time in a new place and new roles in the church. And so although we've been around before, we, we haven't been doing these things before. And so uh, I want to uh, thank you for that. And I hope that you'll keep us in your prayers in the, in the coming days as we get to know each other better and uh, serve alongside each other uh, uh, doing great things for Jesus Christ, right? A few weeks ago, our friend Morris Mathis preached a great sermon here. It was all about why we're here, kind of in an existential sense. Why, why are you on the planet? I can still see his long arms, though, stretching out across you saying, not why you're here, not why you're here, but while you're here. Well, for the next four weeks, we're going to talk about why we're here. Why are you here in the pews today? Why are you in this church? What are we, what are we here to do? And the, uh, the short answer there is found in our mission statement. If you, go to, uh, if you don't know what it is, if you look on the, the front page of our website, you'll see it. You probably could, uh, could uh, quote it. It's, what is it? We exist to make disciples for Jesus Christ for the transformation of Walker County in the world. Now, when I read that at first, I thought, ooh, those are pretty big words right there. We're going to transform the whole county. No, 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 we're not going to stop there. We're going to transform the world. But I think that's what we're here to do. That's exactly what we are going to do. But if we're going to do it, we're going to have to be very intentional about it. And so over the next four Sundays, we're going to look at some really practical aspects of, of making that happen, the why we're here part. Our scripture lesson this morning comes from Paul's first letter to Timothy, the second chapter, the first through the fourth verses. The whole, the whole uh, chapter there is very instructive on, on the church and how we are to worship. But I want you to listen to these first four words, four verses. First of all, then, I ask that requests, prayers, petitions, and thanksgiving be made for all people. Pray for kings and everyone who is in authority so that we can live a quiet and peaceful life in complete godliness and dignity. This is right, and it pleases God our Savior, who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. And let us pray. And now, O God, may your word be proclaimed, either through me or in spite of me. I think everybody's aware that there's an ongoing discussion in our nation over whether or not America was really founded upon Christian principles. There was a radio talk show host and a call-in listener who were talking about Christianity in America. As the conversation continued, the host, who was an avowed, I guess would say agnostic, said, you know, why do you Christians think that, that the Christians had anything special to do with the founding of this country. He went on to say, anybody who reads history books knows that Christianity was no more involved in America's founding than any other religion. That's just not true. I think, unfortunately, that inaccuracy 
seems to be rooted in America right now. But the truth of the matter is that we are a Christian nation and a nation that has always been shaped by the Judeo-Christian ethic found throughout the Bible. We're a biblical nation from our very roots. It's safe to say that the Christian faith was involved in practically every aspect of our nation's beginnings. Christopher Columbus in 1504 wrote his reason for setting forth to discover a new land. He said, I was led of the Holy Spirit to carry the message of the gospel to undiscovered lands. The pilgrims, when they came to Plymouth Rock on the Mayflower, they landed and they joined together in what's called the Mayflower Compact in 1620. And these are the words of the Mayflower Compact. In the name of God, amen. Having undertaken for the glory of God and for the advancement of the Christian faith, we do solemnly and mutually in the presence of God covenant and combine ourselves together. 1643, about 23 years later, as more and more people came to the shores of New England, the New England Confederation was formed. It was the first written constitution of groups meeting together. They said, the, the, the preamble of, the, of their constitution said, whereas, whereas we all came into these parts with one and the same aim, namely to advance the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ and to enjoy the liberties of the gospel in purity and in peace. The Delaware Charter defines the purpose of the colony to further propagate the Holy Gospel. The Virginia Charter assures the right for people to live in Christian peace and instructs the people to propagate the Christian religion to such people who live yet in ignorance of the true knowledge and worship of God. From George Washington's personal prayer book, he wrote, O eternal and everlasting God, direct my thoughts, words, and work. Wash away my sins in the immaculate blood of the Lamb and purge my heart by the Holy Spirit. Daily, frame me more and more in the likeness of thy Son, Jesus Christ, that living in thy fear and dying in thy favor, I may in thy appointed time obtain the resurrection of the justified unto eternal life. Bless, O Lord, the whole race of mankind, and let the world be filled with the knowledge of thy Son, Jesus Christ. John Quincy Adams, who would become the sixth president, said later in about 1821, said this of the Declaration of Independence. He said, From the time of the Declaration of Independence, the American people were bound by the laws of God and the laws of the gospel of Jesus Christ, which they acknowledge as the root of their conduct. We all came together to obey the word of God. Patrick Henry said, It cannot be emphasized strongly or too often that this great nation was founded not by religionists, but by Christians, not on religion, but on the gospel of Jesus Christ. So do you know where the framers of, the, of our nation got the idea of three branches of government? Remember that we have an executive branch, a legislative branch, and a judicial branch. In Isaiah 33, this 22nd verse, it says, The Lord is our judge. Lord is our lawgiver. The Lord is our king. It is he who will save us. It refers to God in those three, same three aspects as our federal government. For the Lord is our judge, that's judicial, our lawgiver, that's legislative, and our king, the executive. It is he who will save us. 
And when the framers of our government got together and they said, well, how are we going to best organize this new government? They looked to the word of God for the wisdom needed and for his righteousness. The influence of God upon the founding of our great nation is so evident that no one who's a student of history or even has a little intellectual curiosity could reasonably deny it. These folks weren't perfect, these early framers of the Constitution, the writers of the Declaration of Independence, those first settlers, they, they weren't perfect. They weren't perfect people, they weren't perfect Christians. But they were all to a person acknowledging that God was the supreme ruler over man and over government. We know that America wasn't then, and certainly isn't now, a perfect place. To this day, we suffer from numerous sins, the sin of slavery, the sin of what was done to the first Americans, the Native Americans that were here, and the simple lack of rights for women. That's just to name a few. But the American experience has proven us more willing to recognize these national sins and to repent and try to do better. The pace of that change doesn't suit us. In fact, it rarely suits us. But in America, we have shown the ability to change our ways in decades, not in centuries like other nations in the world. So that's a great Wikipedia lesson, but what does that have to do with making disciples of Jesus Christ? It has everything to do with it. In the United States, we are not free from religion, but rather free for religion. And that's an important distinction. Second chapter of 1 Timothy, Timothy, Paul is giving instructions for worship. The first verse says that we need to pray for everybody. Remember a few weeks ago, if you were here when I preached, I said you got to love everybody. Now we've got to pray for everybody. First of all, then, I ask that requests, prayers, petitions, and thanksgiving be made for all people. He's giving us very specific places and ways to, to pray. First of all, request, another kind of churchy word for that, is supplications. We're asking God for our needs. We're asking God to, to, to forgive our sins, to help restore our health, to aid our family. It's, it's all about the requests that we're making of God for ourselves. The second aspect is the prayers. And in this setting, that actually means the praise and worship. So we're going to start by praying for ourselves, and then we're going to worship God and praise God through our, through our, uh, through our prayers. And then petitions. And one thing that I've become aware of since I've been in this church is in that little room right there, the prayer room, that there's some mighty things going on. And there is intercessory prayer ministry in this church is so strong and we have prayer warriors that are praying for the needs of our congregation of our town of our city of our state of our nation and of the world and i hear it every day and these people that do that approach it like it's a job and they and they treat it that way and they treat it very seriously and and it's being done and then the last part of that is praying for th in thanksgiving just thanking God for who God is, thanking God for what has already been done for us, for the many, many, many blessings that we enjoy. So Paul, as, as he's talking to Timothy here, 
He's, he says first, before you do it, he gives us a lot of other instructions in that chapter and in that book, but the first thing he said is, you got to pray for everyone. you got to pray for everyone, all people. Then secondly, Paul implores the church to pray for kings and everyone who is in authority. Oh, no. Now, we got to... Does that mean we have to pray for those so-and-sos? Well, that kind of depends on what so-and-so team you're on, right? And who's in power at any given moment. We tend to pick, in our politics, we tend to pick our teams like we pick the Cowboys or the Texans or the Rangers or the Astros or the red team or the blue team, right? We're very divided as a nation on how we feel about any number of... of, uh, policy issues, important ones, but we disagree. Good Christian people that disagree on these things, but we're told that we have to pray for the kings and for everyone who is in authority. Back in the 90s, and you can probably guess who, I'm not going to say, but you can probably guess who the, pre- the, uh, the president was at this, at this time, and there's a big uh, uh, suburban Baptist church in Atlanta, and just kind of offhandedly, the pastor mentioned the president's name at the time and there were boos and hisses coming from the pews and the pastor cut him off and he says oh no 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 Christians don't do that Christians pray and then he abandoned his text for the day he abandoned his sermon for the day and he came to this text and he started preaching to his people on how whether you like the guy or girl or not, whether you, uh, whether you support their positions or not, you need to pray for them. And we can tell up and, up and down from, from city council persons to maybe even the, the, the trustees and finance committee in our church, committees in our churches, all your pastors, all the way up, people that you consider to be an, an authority. Some of those people we like. Some of those people we don't like. Some of those people we trust. Some of those people we don't trust. Some of those people we'd follow almost blindly into the end of the earth, and some of them we wouldn't walk across the street to say hello. But what Paul is saying here is that you've got to pray for those people. So what do you, how do you pray for the people that you don't like or that you don't agree with? Well, for one thing, we can pray for peace for them. We can pray for wisdom for them. We can pray for uh, discernment. We can pray for a change of heart that they might turn away from, from whatever's going. Wouldn't it be a great thing if our, uh, uh, if our government, all up and down from city council all, up, all the way up to the federal government, if they started every day by getting down on their knees and praying and seeking God's guidance, what a, what a different place our nation would be. Part of the reason that that we do that comes from actually the second half of that verse. It says, finally, so that we can live a quiet and peaceful life in complete godliness and dignity. Brothers and sisters, I'm going to tell you that we can win more souls to Christ, that we can transform, we can make disciples, we can transform our town, our city, our county, the world. We We can transform those things when we are at peace, right? more than than when we're in turmoil. If you read the newspaper, if you watch TV, if you go to your favorite internet sources, what are you going to see more of? The conflict, 
the, 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 the bad feelings, the, the scandals, everything else that's going on that's bad in the world. Why? Because it sells more commercials. It sells more ad time. But, but there are people in the world that, that are trying to do the right thing. We need to support them in prayer. And the ones that aren't doing so good, we need to support them in prayer too. We may pray that God ships them out. But, uh, but nonetheless, well, for example, who was, anybody know who the uh, emperor of Rome was when, when Paul was writing these letters? Nero. Nero. A really, really bad guy. Real, I don't know, you know, I don't know if he'd be at the top of the list. He'd be in the top ten, though. He was a terrible human being and would go on to persecute and, and murder Christians. A horrible, horrible person. And yet Paul is saying, pray for this guy so that we can keep the peace and that we can practice our religion the way God would have us. The rest of the verse says, this is right. If we do these things, it is right and it pleases God our Savior who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. So if we pray for everybody, if we pray for our leaders and those in authority, if we create an atmosphere of peace where we can, where the Christian church then can work and we can make those disciples for Jesus Christ, then all people can be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. So we need to wake up then and lift up prayers for America. An American revolution, I would call it, not the kind with bullets and bayonets, but the kind with prayer and with love and with peace. We should be storming heaven with our petitions for our nation. God's word is clear about his promise to answer prayer when a nation needs healing. He says, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. That's from Second Chronicles 7.14. The burden for the health of our nation, beloved, does not rest on who's in the White House. It doesn't rest on who's in the State House. Or who's in the courthouse? It rests on who's in the church house. It rests on you and me. We need to cry out to the Lord on behalf of our nation and its leadership. Pray unceasingly. Not the now I lay me down to sleep kind of prayer and not the good bread, good meat, good God, let's eat kind of prayer. But the kind of prayer that lines up with the will of God. The kind of prayer that reaches the heart of God and the kind that moves the hand of God. Sometimes we don't we, we like that that first part of Second uh, Chronicles, but after that, it's not nearly as pleasant because it predicts what's going to happen to a nation that doesn't repent and seek God. Starting in uh, the 19th verse, it says, "But if you turn away and forsake the decrees and commands I have given you, then I will uproot Israel from my land which I have given them. I will make it a byword and an object of ridicule among all peoples. It's a great promise, but it's also a great warning. So we can't afford to be silent. We can't afford to not pray. Have you noticed, though, that when we speak out as Christians, some folks cry foul? 
They talk about the separation of church and state and say, well, you know, you don't have a right to speak about public policy and law. Go cower in your church, lock yourself in your little stained glass prison and stay there. And that's exactly what the devil wants. The salt shackled in the sanctuary and the light locked up in the church house. An America, an American revolution, an American revolution not of violence, not of strife, not of ugliness, but one of prayer, one of love, and one of peace. We need to wake up. We need to wake up and discover this, this simple and central truth. As long as our motto is, in God we trust, then we will remain and can grow into a greater nation. America needs some modern Paul Revere's. We need to commit name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.